Hello and welcome to another episode of Virtual Legality. I'm your host, Richard Hogue, managing member of the Hogue Law Business Law Firm of Northville, Michigan. And wow, do we have some stuff to talk about. Reactivision Blizzard. I know what you're thinking. When do we not? But the last 24 hours seems a particularly impactful point in time for Activision Blizzard. And as you can see on your screen, the investors in the company share the same sentiment. Now, there's always stories going around about why you see something like this happen. I actually think it's a little bit simpler than some would have you believe, but certainly yesterday was a day for big stories. If you've been following along with us in Activision Blizzard, we're at about half of an Epic versus Apple length playlist right now, but Activision has been dealing with a lot of issues from lawsuits, investigations, responses, lack of responses, and more, which most recently has culminated with a better ABK within the company asking to form a union and Bobby Kotick agreeing to a 99% pay decrease, getting rid of arbitration, and some other things that the a better ABK group had asked for as changes at Activision Blizzard. But you still have the impact that we saw yesterday. Why is that? Well, yesterday was Activision's earnings call. And on that earnings call, in connection with that earnings call, we got a piece of news, a number of pieces of news that really reflected a company in at least a certain amount of tumult. You might remember a video that we did, seems like only yesterday, called Heads Start to Roll in connection with the California lawsuit against Activision in which J. Allen Brack left Blizzard, no longer headed up Blizzard, and was replaced by two individuals. As of August 3rd, 2021, ideally, a three-month date before this video is being recorded. We want to let you know about an important leadership change at Blizzard Entertainment. Starting today, J. Allen Brack will be stepping down as the leader of the studio, and Jen O'Neill and Mikey Barra will co-lead Blizzard moving forward. Jen joined Blizzard in January as Executive Vice President of Development, where she's been providing senior development leadership and support to the Diablo and Overwatch franchises. Remember those names as we talk about this story. Jen is the former head of Vicarious Visions, which is now part of Blizzard Entertainment. After many years at Xbox, Mikey Barra joined the company in 2019, et cetera, et cetera. Both leaders are deeply committed to all of our employees, and we're going to start to try to address these issues here at Activision that have become such an anchor around our growth and public perception of the company, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Now, if you're keeping close track of video game news, and if you're in virtual reality, chances are that you are, Jen, being the former head of Vicarious Visions, might have raised a little bit of a red flag for you because it was only last week that Polygon reported that Vicarious Visions that had been merged into Blizzard, but most thought was going to be treated at least partially separately from that company, especially with the troubles they're going through right now, was announced to be losing its name, to be formally really changed into Blizzard proper. The merger was announced earlier in 2021, says Polygon, but workers were told Wednesday about the name change. Vicarious Visions workers told Polygon that they were initially under the impression the merger meant their employer would continue to operate as its own studio, although it was owned by Blizzard. The news about the name drop came during a town hall meeting on Wednesday morning. A new name for the studio has not been announced, but some workers speculated that it could be simply called Blizzard Albany. Vicarious Visions office is located in Albany, New York. That's why you'd affix the name Albany to that titling. In August, former Vicarious Vision studio head Jen O'Neill was named a co-president of Blizzard Entertainment. Actually, I'm not sure the titles ever got into presidencies. It's co-leader 
is the only title that I ever saw on this. And of course, that time period was so short, who can even say what the title was internally? And that brings us to the big story of yesterday. A message from Jen O'Neill on November 2nd, 2021, not even the three-month anniversary of that message we just read. To the Blizzard community, over the last few months, many of us have been taking the time to ask ourselves how we can affect the most positive change in our workplace, in our games, and in our communities. On a macro level, Mikey Barra and I, along with the rest of Blizzard, have been navigating the important changes we must undertake in order to be known as the creative powerhouse that brought hundreds of millions of players into Azeroth, Sanctuary, and more, all while ensuring our workplace and game communities are truly inclusive, safe, and inviting to all, which matches with the earlier language in the announcement of Mike and Jen taking over in the first instance. I've been thinking about the potential of what I can do as an individual to create the most meaningful change. For the last 20 years of my career, I have loved developing games. They are my lifeblood. I also have been fortunate to find my passion and voice in the diversity, equity, and inclusion space along the way. I want you to hear from me personally that I have made the decision to step away from co-leading Blizzard Entertainment and will transition to a new position before departing ABK at the end of the year, which it's November, is not a long time. Effective immediately, Mikey Barra will lead Blizzard. I am doing this not because I am without hope for Blizzard, quite the opposite. This energy has inspired me to step out and explore how I can do more to have games and diversity intersect and hopefully make a broader industry impact that will benefit Blizzard and other studios as well. We'll come back to that. ABK's leadership is graciously offering their support for my decision and has worked with me on a plan to invest in the future of other women in the gaming industry by agreeing to make a U.S. $1 million grant to Women in Games International, a fantastic nonprofit organization where I am a board member, that cultivates and advances equality and diversity in the global games industry. With my remaining time here, I will be transferring my responsibilities to Mike and transitioning into a new role working closely with Activision Blizzard and WIGI, the nonprofit she just named, to determine the first steps around how the grant will be utilized and its structure. Mike has been unbelievably supportive throughout my decision-making process around this move, and I have every confidence in him leading Blizzard. Blizzard's best days are ahead I truly believe that. I also am hoping this letter helps you to think about what you can do to make everyone around you, no matter their gender, race, or identity, feel welcome, comfortable, and free to be themselves. You inspired me to find my own path in championing the cause for equality, and my hope is that you inspire our players to do the same. Thank you again, Jen O'Neill. So this was a bit of a bombshell because Jen O'Neill, of course, as of three months ago, was one of the saving measures enacted by Activision to get away from the Jay Allen Bracks of the world, to get away from the folks that wound up leaving their employ under the cloud of suspicion and accusations, either on Twitter or from the state of California or the EEOC, or heck, maybe even the SEC in the future. And having one of those people step down within a three-month window is never going to look good, even outside of that scenario. Let's say you were the best functioning publicly traded company on earth. If you put two people into a job and one steps down within three months, people are going to talk and it's not going to reflect terribly well on your organization. Now, as I said, even when this happened, it was always kind of a weird step. J. Allen Brack, one individual running one company, makes some amount of sense. We're kind of used to seeing that when we talk about corporate structure. Two people without real titles 
going forward without a delineation of purpose established by Activision or Blizzard in these notes, always raise the question of what does that look like on the ground? How do you interact with those folks? Who leads what? And I think you can assume that Jen, who was in charge of Diablo and Overwatch before she became co-head, probably remained in charge of those things after she became co-head with Mikey Barra, is going to be evaluating those franchises during this period of time at the same time that Activision Blizzard is apparently getting rid of the company that she helped run for a huge portion of her career. So I don't think you separate these stories. Vicarious Visions basically going away, the history of it going away. Jen O'Neill stepping down. Jen O'Neill telling folks that she doesn't know what she's going to do next. I didn't highlight this sentence, but while describing everything here, she says, while I am not totally sure what form that will take, I'm excited to embark on a new journey to find out. At least as described in this message, this is not a person with a hand on the next rung of the ladder or even a parallel ladder. This is someone that has decided that this isn't the place for her for reasons unknown. Now she says all the things that you would expect in a vetted message from somebody leaving a company like this. I believe our best days are ahead. I don't know how anybody could really think that given how glorious Blizzard's days were in the past, but it's always good to hear that you think the best days are ahead. Certainly a good message to deliver to the people that are working there right now, but you also see a kind of undercurrent here, right? And this is a philosophical dispute, right? You might've had this dispute with others in your social circle or even on the internet, whether if there's a problem, and you think there's a problem with diversity, inclusion, whatever it might be, at Blizzard or somewhere else, is it better to attack that from the outside or is it better to get into the belly of the beast and make those changes on the inside? Certainly the subtext of a message like this is that Jen O'Neill, for whatever reason, doesn't think that she was best able to affect the change she wants to see at Blizzard and elsewhere from the seat she was given at Blizzard. And does that mean there was friction between her and the higher-ups, between her and Mike? We don't know. What we do know is that she at least had a change of heart from what she had decided to do as of August 3rd of this very year. Now, that puts Mikey Barra in the catbird seat. I can't honestly tell you that I know anything about how he might lead Blizzard going forward, but it is all a part of this story. Blizzard, Overwatch, Diablo... Jen O'Neill, California, EEOC, all a part of this story. Now, I also wanted to bring up another point that was raised to me that I saw floating around online. This is Nathan Grayson at the Washington Post. It says, Blizzard employers are saying they found out about this during the shareholder call, which given the reason Jen O'Neill and Mikey Barra got these jobs in the first place is not a great look. And I can certainly understand how you come to that conclusion, right? These folks were designed to be a better conduit between employees that in part in the California lawsuit have been told that the company wasn't listening to properly, having a new conduit should work better, and having one of those people leave three months into the job, not a great look, not telling people that that person was going to leave beforehand, even worse. But I think you do have to take the context into account here, right? I said Nathan Grayson works for the Washington Post. This is an area where reasonable minds can differ. But you've got folks that are constantly asking for leaks, right? Here's Shannon Liao 
a colleague of his at the Washington Post saying, if you work at Activision Blizzard and want to talk about how things are going between turnover, leadership stepping down and games getting delayed, this is your friendly reminder that my DMs are open. My email is X and you can DM me for signal on an encrypted basis so that you won't lose your anonymity and you can have the conversation. So when Nathan Grayson says, it's not a great look not to tell people, I do think it's worth thinking about things from the Activision side. I know that's not fun for a lot of people that watch this or listen to it as a podcast, but pretend you're in Activision's shoes here. You've got Jen O'Neill comes into your office, says, I'm going to leave. And you know that journalists are looking at your company. You know that for the past number of months, your employees have been leaking information to journalists. And that's not to say anything bad about journalists. This is their job. But from the corporate side of things, you look at it and say, well, we need to be able to put some messaging in play around this because it undoubtedly looks bad. And that's not great for the employees, but you have to make your choices at a corporate level. And what I would guess is they were putting together this million dollar grant concept to try to cushion the blow of Jen O'Neill leaving in such a short period of time. And I don't know what those negotiations or talks look like. Certainly getting a million dollars from your prior employer to fund the nonprofit where you're a board member, pretty good play by Jen. I have to say that she got that money into that particular nonprofit organization, but I don't know what those conversations looked like. What I do know is that you're going to want to be able to say that you're putting this million dollar grant in. You're going to want to be able to have a message from Jen O'Neill directly ready to go to talk to your employees in the manner that this message does before it gets leaked to the Polygons and Kotaku's and Washington Posts of the world. So while I understand what Nathan Grayson is saying here, and I don't think he's wrong necessarily, I do think there's another side of the coin here where if you look at things from the other perspective, it makes a lot of sense that that's the kind of news that you really don't want to have out there before you can publicly talk about it on an investor call with analysts, with a message from Jen O'Neill. So it's somewhat a rock and a hard place, which you can certainly accuse Activision of putting themselves in, but it is nevertheless that rock and that hard place. Now, I also promised you that this story wasn't necessarily as simple as some had made out. I've seen references to the fact that Jen O'Neill is a reaction here from the market. And I don't think that's in fact the case, but I do think it's part of the story. And that story is about the releases that Activision is now going to make in the next year. As part of this investor call, they did an update on their pipeline. And they said the following, as we have worked with new leadership in Blizzard, And within the franchises themselves, particularly in certain key creative roles, it has become apparent that some of the Blizzard content planned for next year will benefit from more development time to reach its full potential. While we are still planning to deliver a substantial amount of content from Blizzard next year, we are now planning for a later launch for Overwatch 2 and Diablo 4 than originally envisaged. I wouldn't usually put that on a PowerPoint presentation, but envisaged, nice word. These are two of the most eagerly anticipated titles in the industry. Question mark? Is that true? Leave your comments below. How much are you anticipating Overwatch 2? And our teams have made great strides towards completion in recent quarters, but we believe giving the teams some extra time to complete production and continue growing their creative resources to support the titles after launch will ensure that these releases delight and engage their communities for many years into the future. These decisions will push out the financial uplift, that's money to you and I, that we had expected to see next year. 
but we are confident that this is the right course of action for our people, our players, and the long-term success of our franchises. So looking at that image at the bottom of this, you see Activision has really taken all of its eggs and put them into a very small basket. They've got Call of Duty, the number one game in the world. They've got Diablo occasionally, once a decade, maybe a little bit more often if they continue to release remasters like they did with Diablo 2. They've got Overwatch, which I think we could have a great debate on whether or not they have completely squandered what Overwatch was, which could have been a live services game of the Fortnite-type variety that continued to get skins, continued to get players, continued to bring people in, and instead they cut off that support in favor of an Overwatch 2 that has been delayed and delayed and delayed and delayed some more, putting into question their league, the popularity of their franchise on the whole. I think if they could go back to the start of all this, they would never do what they have done here. But now they're so far into it, they have to proceed with what they have been doing. Diablo 4 is no different. We're looking at a decade plus between Diablo entries and World of Warcraft facing its own difficulties. So you've got Call of Duty holding up the wall here. You've got Candy Crush holding up the wall here. And then you've got Blizzard doing who knows what. Activision, Blizzard, King, ABK, but the A and the K are doing the work and Blizzard continues to be a drag on this particular company. And in all honesty, I've seen this in the comments, I'm not so sure that Blizzard's reorganization stops with Vicarious Visions changing its name. It might become an issue long-term for Activision Blizzard as a publicly traded company to be associated with Blizzard in the long term. Pay attention to that. I'm a big fan of Blizzard's history. I loved StarCraft. I loved WarCraft. I loved the original set of Diablo games. I'm not as big a fan of Diablo 3. But Blizzard of old is not Blizzard of now. And Activision is really going to have to assess whether this is all working out in the way that they wanted. On that note, I think Jason Schreier at Bloomberg did a good job kind of summarizing the issues here. I'm using the Yahoo Finance version of it as it's not paywalled, but I'll link it in the description of this video. Activision plunges most since 2008 on game delays and soft forecast. That to me is the right headline, although I don't know that the forecast is quite as soft as he suggests. Says Activision Blizzard Inc., the video game publisher facing lawsuits for sexual discrimination and harassment, just a heck of a slug line, delayed two of its most anticipated games and gave a fourth quarter forecast that fell short of expectations and the shares plunged. Diablo 4 and Overwatch 2 will take longer than anticipated to finish, Activision said in a statement on Tuesday. Activision also said Jen O'Neill will step down as co-head of Blizzard. And Santa Monica, California-based Activision is in the midst of a cultural reckoning after the California Department of Fair Employment and Housing sued the company in July for sexual discrimination and unlawful pay practices. The Securities and Exchange Commission is investigating the company over how it handled the allegation and it has subpoenaed several senior executives, including Chief Executive Officer Bobby Kotick. Now, I call it to attention this paragraph, not because it's wrong. Obviously, we've talked about it at length in this space. But to note that when you're looking at something like this, it's probably not super useful to analyze the stuff that has come before, right? The market has already incorporated the concepts at issue in the EEOC case, the SEC investigation, the DFEH lawsuit, by the time you get to this big drop-off. The question is always, what's new? What made investors skittish as of yesterday? And the answer to that is Blizzard's not going to be contributing jack next year. There's no financial uplift from the middle letter of your three-letter company 
And that causes investors to get skittish. Now, it's also worth noting, Activision still doing better even after that drop than it was here in the basin of 2019. And a lot of these companies, Take-Two Interactive, Electronic Arts, Nintendo, whomever, are dealing with investors trying to grapple with the fact that 2020 was so huge for video games. What is the proper valuation of a gaming company when the pandemic is going to end at some point? (laughs) that video games aren't going to be necessarily as popular as they were during this entire raising period. And so Activision is not alone here. Past five years, they're up 58%. But in the last year, they're down 14% primarily because of this drop. And you get this question of what is Activision's problem versus what is the gaming industry's problem as realized upon publicly traded companies. So you want to take everything in context. We're going to know more about Electronic Arts and Take-Two this week, I think maybe even today. So keep your eyes attuned to that. But it certainly seems to be the case that that drop-off is related to Blizzard moving back a year, at least, and not related to the things that should have already been incorporated because investors knew about them. Last week, Kotick said he would take a 99.9% pay cut and outlined several measures that the company hoped would mollify angry employees. And I don't mean to pick on Jason here, right? I really do think this is a pretty good article. I think it summarizes things well. But this is the kind of editorializing that I hate when we're talking especially about quantifiable metrics like financial reporting and things. We talked about this letter where Bobby Kotick did this. He added uh, a lack of arbitration for discrimination and harassment lawsuits. He made other changes. And I said, well, this is designed to help answer what a better ABK asked for. And this is framed as Jason as, Several measures the company hoped would mollify angry employees. Now, there is definitely nothing in the public record about a company evinced hope about mollification of angry employees. I think the other side of describing what happened here would be that Activision attempted to answer the correct concerns and requests from the employees that were otherwise upset about these various things. But You could call it mollification if you're so inclined. It's certainly the kind of language that I see a lot from Jason, and I really do wish it was presented in a little bit more neutral fashion. But here comes the good analysis. In the third quarter, adjusted revenue rose to $1.88 billion, matching analysts' projections. Earnings were $0.72 a a share, slightly beating analysts' estimates of $0.70. So that's obviously $1.88 billion and not $1.88 billion. But this is the important stuff right? The market is constantly evaluating the information that it is given. And to be honest, Activision had a pretty bang on third quarter, especially coming off of growth that they realized in 2020. They did better in the third quarter of 2021 than they did in 2020. That's a big deal. But investors are always looking for the next big thing. And they weren't able to get that from the Blizzard announcement of not having a Diablo 4 and not having an Overwatch 2. Activision tried to assuage these fears a little bit, said first week sales for the recent Diablo 2 Resurrected game were the highest recorded for a remaster from the company, Activision said, which is a big deal. And I really like Diablo 2 Resurrected. Pour one out for Spyro and Crash, which I also really liked as remasters, but it's good to see Diablo 2 getting a little bit of attention. Says Diablo Immortal is scheduled for next year. That's the mobile game. Don't you all have phones? You might remember, but Jason brings up a great point which is that Diablo Immortal might not be the big seller that Activision has been banking on if China continues to be aggressive about their gaming bans and controlling hours played and access, especially for kids, of those kinds of games. So Activision has to be watching that very carefully, investors watching it 
as well. Activision shares are down 16% this year, more than its two other main publicly listed rivals, Take-Two Interactive and Electronic Arts. Collectively, gaming stocks have suffered in the market from a perception that interest would slow as the COVID-19 pandemic eased and people returned to other activities. And that's an accurate description of things. I'm not sure it's as much a perception as a reality. 2020 was such a huge year for gaming, going way above what our typical growth patterns for the industry, that I think a reasonable person looks at that and says, well, that's going to come back down to sea level at some point. But other folks could say that it was the start of some big change because the pandemic changed the world and video games were just there to realize the opportunity. You also got a few comments from Jason here about the new Call of Duty, Call of Duty Vanguard where he says the Call of Duty series is expected to have a down year, said Matthew Canterman, an an analyst at Bloomberg Intelligence. The upcoming Call of Duty Vanguard is set during World War II, which is not proven to be as popular as the Modern Warfare or Black Ops titles, Canterman said. Of course, with the content that Call of Duty still, regardless, almost always has one of the top selling games in video gaming. The delays to Diablo 4 and Overwatch 2 were due to a change in leadership, said Ibarra, now the sole leader of Blizzard, Diablo 4's director left in the wake of the misconduct lawsuit in August, while Overwatch's, Overwatch 2's executive producer resigned by choice in September, Bloomberg reported at the time. Obviously, if you're looking at two creative leads for these two big games for your company, leaving at roughly the same time, that's often going to set you back. As Ibarra says, we looked at what was left in the final phases of production with fresh eyes, and we saw that allowing the teams more time would make for better games and give Blizzard a chance to further expand both teams, which is admittedly what you saw in this particular PowerPoint slide. But end of the day, we like to give big updates here in virtual legality. This was a big day for Activision Blizzard. Nobody could have expected that Jen O'Neill would up and leave within three months of putting her in that position. Generally speaking, if you're Activision, if you're Bobby Kotick or some other C-level executive at the company, you're trying to make sure that this kind of thing doesn't happen when you put those two people in that particular position. It speaks to the level of uh, fractiousness and chickens with their head cut off that was happening in the fall at Activision Blizzard as they tried to respond to the California lawsuit and people were leaving and being fired and resigning and all sorts of things. They needed to try to shore up what was happening at the company. And obviously this particular move didn't ultimately work out for them, but it isn't really the whole story in my eye. Overwatch, Diablo, not releasing in 2022, not releasing until at best 2023 with a Call of Duty that nobody quite knows how it will do in the midst of this shadow is how you get a situation like this. Will they bounce back? I would be willing to bet that they will. Call of Duty always looks good at some level with the numbers that come in and being at the top of those charts. You still got King cranking out mobile games with the best of them. And Blizzard, I hope, really, from a lover of video games in the gaming industry, can come back and make some good stuff in the future. I would certainly like to see that. I suspect if you're watching this, you would like to see that as well. But certainly Activision Blizzard facing a lot of changes, a lot of punishment from the market very, very recently. And we will certainly have to see how it goes here in virtual legality. If you enjoy these talks about the business and law of video games, if you get value from this content, please consider supporting the channel. We've got a Patreon and other ways to support it listed in the description below. Otherwise, just subscribing, telling your friends we're having these conversations, upvotes, downvotes, putting these videos in forums and Reddit threads and everywhere else that you might otherwise be on the internet. All of that helps get the message out that we're having these conversations, hopefully informing and certainly having some fun 
doing so. If you caught this on YouTube, thank you so much for watching. And if you listen to it as a podcast, thank you so much for listening. And I will catch you on the very next episode of Virtual Legality. Virtual Legality is a YouTube video series with audio podcast versions presented as commentary and for education and entertainment purposes only. It does not constitute legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship. If you have legal questions about the topics discussed, please consult your own legal counsel.